Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast brought to you by the amazing people over at HypeBot.com. Thank you, Bruce, and everybody over at HypeBot for everything you do to support the show and uh, the music industry in general. So, um, Jay, we have a special guest joining us this week. So Sherry is a music and technology writer. She writes for Billboard and Forbes, which is where I first started reading her material. And she's also got a fantastic uh, newsletter called Water and Music. Um, Sherry, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Sherry, there's so much uh, I'd love to talk to you about. One of the first things that really struck me was uh, something you had, I think, on your website where you said one of your goals is to level the playing field of knowledge, you know, for music and technology, which I thought was fantastic. Can you uh, speak to that for a moment? Absolutely. Yeah, Um, that's definitely an important goal of mine, given uh, so when I first started writing uh, just around like two, three years ago, this buzzword of transparency was, you know, going all around the industry and it still is. And it's been an issue, um, I think across many industries, but especially music in terms of transparency, uh, be that transparency around payments, like how much an artist is getting paid, why they're getting paid that much, just how the money flows to the system. Generally transparency, just thinking from like an artist perspective, for instance, around like who's listening to your stuff and who's actually a fan and, realizing as I'm writing more about music and tech that depending on where you are in the industry, like be that a major label or like an artist signed to a major label or one who's just starting out, um, you might have a lot like vastly different information at your disposal, or at least there, there is that perception that, Oh, I had, I just have much fewer tools um, that I can use to my benefit because I'm not, you know, part of the mainstream or not signed to so-and-so company. I think that landscape is changing in really interesting ways, uh, especially over the last year. But yeah, so th- what, I, what I mean by leveling the playing field of knowledge um, is sort of at least opening up the opportunity for uh, multiple people across different areas of the industry to, uh, to, I guess, start a conversation around the same sort of information, which I think historically has not really been the case. So mm-hmm. it uh, it seems to me that that from a very high level, transparency in the music industry has sort of been a problem since the birth of the music industry. You know, especially as as the years have gone on, and we've read all of these books by artists, and behind the music's have come out, and documentaries. One thing that always seems to be common is the artists end up going. I had no idea where. My sales were going. I had no idea how the counting was happening. I had no idea what this manager was doing. I had no idea what this agent was doing. Seems like that's been a problem since day one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, at least like thinking about. Uh, yeah, I think it's been it's been a problem as long as the music industry machine, if you will, has been the money machine. In existence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. With the money machine, um, and for sure. Yeah, especially like the major labels, major publishers, like that that whole area. Yes, as long as they've been around, there have been there's been a lot of controversy around like what their incentives are really at the end of the day, at least like financially. Because in terms you know, of I'm sure yeah. you've you've seen this, but Jay and I see this all the time, where some musician, artist, writer, somebody 
this week has their complaint that, hey, here's my royalty check from Spotify, and I made 30 cents on all of this. And and the reality is, at the end of the day, I'm not sure, and this gets to your point of educating people, do they even know the flow of money? Do they know where it's going, who's getting a piece of it, and what does their contract say they're supposed to receive? So... I, I'm I'm all for that education because I think that's a big thing that's lacking right now is almost artist education of the system and of the contracts. Exactly. Yeah, and I think there is. So I think because Spotify, the the product that is Spotify has so many different aspects to it, and it's like it's become more complex in a good way over time. I think on, on the user end. I'm just thinking like a couple of years ago when I first started writing out, Spotify actually like very clearly had a formula on their website, on their artist website for how they paid out royalties. And I think uh, for the non-radio use cases, so for on-demand use cases, it's still the same in terms of it's paid out, it's paid on a pro rata basis, right? Based on market share. So, uh, which, yeah. And so I think that, that sort of payout mechanism and uh, there've been a lot more pieces published um, in mainstream publications like the New York Times, which, which is great that it's like sort of getting into the, um, getting into the public eye about how like be, there are many re- possible reasons why an artist might only see pennies from, you know, thousands or even like millions of streams. It, there could be a label sort of in the middle taking a good chunk of that money in terms of contracts, but it also like this whole market share aspect and the fact that I think there are like over 20, 25,000 songs uploaded a week or it might be that's even right. the same. Yeah. But just the flow of new music that's happened, that's being uploaded to Spotify is just so vast that um, it, it is sort of, it, it does make sense that some artists, if, um, if like a nine ninety nine subscription is being chopped up across so many different songs that some of them would, would only see pennies or fractions of pennies. Yeah. And, and it seems it like there's, to, yeah. yeah, it seems like there's actually, a movement for better transparency. I mean, there are places like, you know, Cobalt that have an app for their artists where they can kind of see live time. I know, you know, in grooves and um, the Orchard have um, systems where you can kind of look in the back end and kind of see what's going on. I I think that the trend is definitely heading towards that. I mean, look at Apple Music for artists or Spotify for artists or, you know, and I think most of this maybe even started with kind of the insights that we got from our socials, but are you seeing that um, that there is a little bit more transparency? Is it trending that way? Or do you still feel like there's still a, a challenge there? Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess as I sort of outlined earlier, there's like transparency of payment versus transparency of um, money, like the, the money flow. And I feel like uh, different companies have different responsibilities like in those two different paths, but like what you're, what you're saying about Spotify for artists and like the Apple Music for artists um, and Cobalt, what they built with the AOL app. I think there definitely is competition, at least to uh, create this perception from the, com- from the company side that they're helping these artists grow their own businesses and they're, you know, encouraging artists to be more entrepreneurial and to grow their careers. Because I think especially uh, Spotify, I think, wants to take at least some sort of credit for artist development. In some cases, or so you're seeing them doing. I think this is directly related to uh, the direct licensing deals that they're already offering artists and managers. That so th- that's sort of going away from transparency a little bit, but it's under the same sort of umbrella sure. of 
yeah, like wanting to encourage artists to uh, help them be more self-sufficient and to make their own business decisions, like based on what the Spotify dashboard alone can provide. But, but yeah, so you know, yeah. even I would almost view a direct licensing as as becoming transparent because now now the artist or the manager mm-hmm. is able to actually you assume they're reading the contract and you assume they're reading the licensing agreement. I'm going to make that huge assumption, but then it's just between you and, and Spotify, the streaming service, and you should know exactly what you're getting into as opposed to, well, I've signed a deal with a record label and the record label has a relationship with Spotify and Spotify pays them. And then the label pays me that to me, I, I see that as where the transparency breakdown starts happening is the more people that get involved in it the less chance you're going to be able to see every every agreement in the chain that's true yeah and yeah i'm sure in the contract there's more transparency around exactly around marketing and sort of how your song is going to be displayed maybe like if spotify is giving additional marketing support there definitely is more transparency around there and and going so going back to this goal in my newsletter to level the playing field of knowledge. So as a business writer, primarily, right, like focusing on music and tech on the business side, um, I'm writing, I realize I'm covering a lot of deals that artists might not necessarily be thinking about every day, such as like last week, uh, both the Spotify Samsung deal um, and the Apple Music Verizon deal were announced. And like, that's a really interesting space in terms of like telecom, providers coming in and wanting to align themselves with these music services. But mm-hmm. like, what does that mean for a DIY artist? Like, is there any relation there? Like it seems, and I feel like there, there could be, but um, sort of going to your point around how traditionally this, the B2B side um, and the B2C or like sort of the artist facing side of traditionally been so separate um, where, whereas, but I think, I think there are some interesting things that artists can learn from those deals. So yeah, that's just like, yeah. A goal of mine is to try to bridge those two areas together and create more transparency that way instead of yeah, having to yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that keeps me up at night, Sherry, is the whole um, smart speaker movement. Um, I, I love what's happening, you know. Um, I've been playing with the devices. I, I think there's a lot of great things going on there. Um, but right now it's, we're in the wild, wild west, you know, when it comes to delivering metadata, you can find certain artists, some artists you can't find, you have to pronounce them a certain way, either phonetically, or, you know, I don't think as an industry, we figured out how to deliver the metadata properly. And it's not the same across DSPs. Um, but I do, I'm really excited about kind of where it's going. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of this new, wave of uh, music consumption through smart speakers mm. uh i mean there's so many points that come to mind one yeah so just about smart speakers generally what's really interesting to me from an adoption perspective is that uh, it is a relatively new technology but it's not like as with many other disruptive tech you have this like niche audience that is first adopting it um mm. and then like little by little, it goes to the mainstream. Like immediately you have families and like people of all ages adopting it. And so it's just like going directly to, to the mainstream from the very beginning, I feel like. Maybe the fact that Amazon is dominating this market has something to do with that because they've already, you know, uh, with Amazon Prime and um, other services, they've already sort of 
entered that space and dominated it pretty well. But so, so there's that aspect, the fact that it's going to the mainstream from the very beginning. And then considering that music is a huge use case for, uh, for smart speakers, I think it's like 60% of users listen to music regularly um, mm. on those devices. It's big. Uh, and yeah, it's like really big. And the fact that it's uh, going mainstream first, thinking about like mainstream listening habits tend to be much more lean back and then considering that they're in the home, they're like much more closely tied to activities or moods. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't understand, can you describe what lean back means? For sure. So by lean back, uh, it's sort of, I guess I imagine the user experience being like you click um, a button to either shuffle like a playlist that you want to listen to. Um, and then you like, literally and figuratively lean back in the sense that you're not like actively trying to discover, you know, any new music necessarily. You're not like, you know, crate digging or anything like that. You're just trying to create. Usually I see the purpose of creating an ambiance or whatever you're doing. So it's like lean back listening. You just want cool music while you're like driving a car or you want uh, music that's conducive to studying or cooking. So that's what I'm thinking about when I think. I mean, yeah. it 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 really is an an example of how music has has become very much a background activity in our lives. It's it's in the background as you're exercising, as you're cooking, as you're reading. It's just there. You're not actively engaged with it. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that area of music is definitely growing and. Just thinking from like Spotify's perspective. So Spotify has been for sure promoting their mood and activity based playlists much more regularly, such that they have like dedicated areas on the homepage like that are connected to time. So like if I open my Spotify um, app right now, there'll probably be like an afternoon relaxation section with a bunch of different playlists, right? But then from Spotify's perspective, they're also they're a subscription product and they're a metric that really matters for them is user retention which means like creating products around habits, right? Mm -hmm. And so like something that you want to keep going back to regularly. And um, I think stats have shown that Spotify's moon and activity playlists, um, understandably are more like they create habits, like, like stickier habits because people are like, oh, it's the afternoon, time to turn on this playlist or it's time for dinner. You know, I'm going to uh, play this in the background now. Yeah, so from... Just thinking about Spotify's goals as a company, it makes more sense to um, advertise those types of playlists just because it keeps users on for longer, generates more streams and more money for them, and hopefully for the artists too. Jay, Jay yeah. and I have talked about um, Spotify's playlists for quite a while. I mean, you know, starting with mm-hmm. Discover Weekly and Release Radar and now the Daily Mixes. Um, and they seem to have really nailed it when it comes to creating these very personalized playlists for their users. Do you have any idea, do you have any thoughts, any insight? Why, why has Spotify been so good at it? Mm, good question. Like good at just that. At, 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 of, at, at, create, at creating yeah. playlists that really the are curation. truly personalized to each user that, you know, I, I can, I've said this many times. I have discovered so much music because these Spotify playlists are so perfectly tuned in to who I am and what I like and what I listen to. Um, 
and and I'm just excited every time there's a new playlist that that they're, they they do you know they bring me back in every week. I can't wait to see what my Discover Weekly looks like Monday morning. I can't wait to see what Release Radar looks like on Friday. I can't wait to see what this week's daily mix playlists are going to be. I don't, I'm not I'm not sensing that with any of the other players out there. You know, and I'm hearing this from other users as well, that Spotify just has really, really got it nailed when it comes to these playlists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are a lot of things that come to mind there. So one is, um, so speak, just thinking back a couple of years ago, there was a whole flurry of acquisitions that streaming services were making of like music data intelligence companies or startups. Um, and so Spotify acquired the Echo Nest in 2014, I think. And that, I personally think that team is responsible for like all of the like data science, like talent and prowess and like products, data-driven products that have come out of that in terms of like being able to have really, really granular information about like each, every individual song um, that then informs recommendations. And they're also scraping, it's not just about, so unlike Pandora, for instance, like they, I think they pioneered audio-driven recommendation with like mm -hmm. their music genome project. Yep. But um, it, I think the emphasis for them is still very much on audio, whereas Spotify um, is also really interested in like collaborative filtering. Like what, what do people with similar tastes as you, what are they listening to that you might not have listened <clears throat> to yet? Like that has nothing to do with like audio characteristics. And then I know they're also scraping um, just looking at the Echo Nest and what, where, where they're getting their data, they're also scraping the news, media, scraping blogs, what they're writing about too. So it's a very comprehensive approach to recommendation right. that I don't other services have invested in. Yeah. Yeah. And um, oh yes, and so at so at a conference, I actually saw um, two of the primary developers behind Discovery Weekly talk about um, taste profiles for individual users, which interestingly, the users themselves can't see. Like I, I can't look up what my taste profile is, but this is <laughs> the visualization is almost like a heat map. Uh, I bet. Like, yeah. And the way that one of these developers talked about it, which is really interesting is say you, um, like 95% of the time you listen to artists like Lady Gaga or Katy Perry, but then um, like the other like five, percent of the time five ten percent of the time you really like james brown and like you really like old school soul and funk music um if like there was no way in a physical era to account for those disparities really but like now it's like everyone has i feel like everyone in a in some way has some of those quirks it's like oh if if you're to take a very top-down approach and like if a major label were to create these like customer buckets, right? Like just from a marketing perspective, um, yeah. you would probably fall in the like Lady Gaga, Katy Perry category and not the James right. Brown category. Right. Yeah. But now, but now like with this granular data, just everyone, like these streaming services are able to pick up on these quirks and deliver the right sort of recommendations accordingly. Yeah. That just feels very satisfying because I guess that, couldn't be recognized before. Well, it yeah. reminds me of, you know, growing up and having that record store clerk, you know, uh, was your, that was your recommendation engine. 
and that was much more complex. But he knew that you liked, you know, James Brown, but you might also might like Lyle Lovett and Metallica. And that's something that, mm. you know, I know a lot of people with music collections and they don't have all jazz or all classical or all EDM, you know, but if you take the approach that you just described, I think you're going to be uh, a lot more successful. Let me ask you about, I mean, you're, you're dealing with technology and music and clearly, you know, it's an ever-changing, you know, very dynamic space. What, what is exciting you right now? Are there any things, whether it's new technologies or new companies or anything that's really lighting you up right now? Mm. So I, creative AI, like artificial intelligence composing music has been a bug in my head for a really long time. I just, it, it's not just like commercially interesting in terms of thinking about like, what commercial application it could have, but also just philosophically, like thinking about creative AI, creative AI fundamentally means thinking about like, what does it mean to be creative? What makes a song good? How do we, how do we value a song? Like, do we price yeah. a song? How do we value a song based on the end product or based on the story that comes before it? Um, so that's been really exciting to me. And just thinking about the stories that have come up over the last year with, the like Spotify fake artist controversy, for instance, um, which I'm not 100% sold on, but uh, was the, the accusations were basically saying that Spotify was putting um, fake and or machine generated music on its playlist to cut licensing costs. And like, no matter like how true that actually was, I think it was a really interesting litmus test just for like for people's openness to creative AI, like competing with quote-unquote human artist in the sense of taking promotional real estate on streaming services. So that's been a really interesting place for me. I've been following that closely. Um, smart speakers as well, for sure, and like voice experiences in general and thinking about how that might extend beyond the home as well um, because a lot of focus, understandably, has been on the home because that's where most smart speakers are, but like how are... Like I feel like the car is one of the best... Uh, like places to use voice because otherwise like that, that's the safest option it's like just a necessity for um yeah just like when you're driving you have to keep your eyes on the road but um in terms of voice applications within built into the car we have i think we're only in the early stages of that so that'll be interesting yeah i, I was well. i was gonna ask you i mean obviously you know uh, tr traditional terrestrial radio has always been a discussion when you're talking about music and especially discovery but it seems like the radio's saving grace has pretty much been it still owns the automobile when you're in an automobile most of the time people just you know they're not jumping through the hoops of let me do a bluetooth connection to this and you know being hands-free it's just it's not easy to manipulate so radio wins where you know where are we when are we going to see you know the smart speaker take over the dashboard and you know all of a sudden there's no longer the radio doesn't even look the same anymore there's you don't need digital readouts you don't need dials you don't need anything because it's just it's just a box i mean I, I i i can tell you i bought a kickstarter product called um muse which is just a little circular dial that connects to Alexa in my car. And then I can use voice commands 
to launch and play music and anything in my Amazon playlist world is now accessible to me. You know, radio stations, if you can play it on Alexa, you can play it through this little Muse device. It's changed the way I interact with the car now because it's all voice. But I'm a little, I'm geeky. I wouldn't expect my parents to be able to set that up, configure it, and, and run with it. When when Google or Apple or Amazon takes over the radio, isn't that going to be a big moment? Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, just thinking about like why yeah why radio has been dominating the car experience because and going back to our conversation about lean back music, right? Like that is like the easiest or like the prime form of lean back listening that you just click a button. FM radio turns on. You're like you're, you you're forced to le- you're forced to lean back in the car because yeah. basically you got to yeah. drive. You can't be playing dials all the time. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I do agree that once um, like the Spotify's and Amazon, Google's of the world develop something that's that's just as easy in terms of a click, just a click of a button, or just like one voice command. Um, in terms of like reducing having the same low level of friction to getting music to play. I think right. like the car, yeah, the car, when, when people are in the car, they just, they're standard for the amount of friction uh, that like before, before the music starts playing, is just like much lower. The threshold is much lower. So when, once they get to that point, for sure, there will be um, like, yeah, like the, the terrestrial radio stations will have to think really hard about like how they survive. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you think personally that, that, you know, Apple's touted CarPlay for for many years. That it's the mm-hmm. interface to interface your iPhone to to you know radio, a dashboard. But have they really kind of missed the boat in in pushing Siri in in this whole picture? In that, as much as everybody's always been about it's hands free and you got to use Bluetooth. You know, I've always felt like if if Apple couple years ago had opened up Siri to every developer they they could have they could have owned that space you know if they would have let Siri control mm. Spotify rather than forcing me to only use it to control Apple Music or use Siri to control Amazon Music anything they could have basically owned the the car space because hey we are the ones that are promoting car safety we are truly hands free Use Siri and you can control everything on yeah, your right. iPhone. Seems like that argument is an old argument. You know, they did that with their operating system. There was a chance, you know, well, there was an opportunity, a moment in time for for that to be the main operating system. And maybe it's just they want things to be proprietary and, you know, keep the revenue to themselves. But, um, yeah, what do you think, Sherry? Yeah, no, I totally agree that um, Apple's really shot itself in the foot with the, like, closed um, approach and like thinking about Amazon, like even with Amazon, they're definitely trying to drive subscriptions to Amazon music. But like, I, like I have an Amazon echo and I use it to listen to Spotify. Sure. Like I, I yep. Spotify is my main, right. And like just having that option open yeah. is like really good to have. Same, same with Google, I believe. Like you can do that with Google home. Um, yeah. and like, that's, I very strongly believe. Yeah. Like that's why they have more traction in the market is because like more people can like adopt it immediately instead of like Apple. Some people have argued that Apple's home pod 
um, which has gotten very mixed reviews, is uh, it doesn't matter if they get mixed reviews because they're only catering to like the very, very top, you know, like sure. 5% of Apple, you know, loyal Apple customers who just yeah. want to have every product out there, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a viable long-term strategy for Apple, but yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I definitely agree that like, and even like the, just the technology that is Siri in terms of the, the voice recognition technology um, and the voice commands, I think, is behind Alexa as well. Oh, I, I, I would I would totally agree. I mean, there was a there was a period where I was I've always been an Amazon subscriber and I love Alexa and I was an Apple Music subscriber and I was, you know, trying to use Siri and everything. And I finally um, got rid of my subscription to Apple Music because Siri just never worked. It, it 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 just never I could take the same artist and and Alexa would understand it the first time I said it and six times after trying to get Siri to do it I'm ready to yes. throw the you know give me something physical Siri because I need to freaking throw it out the window because you don't get it you don't understand Yeah well it. I I will say this Michael I've got every one of these on my desk and I check out dozens if not hundreds of albums and songs for clients and I can tell you that there earlier on there were issues. I'm finding right now that at least with Apple Music, especially in in the jazz world, um, that by far um, they're recognizing the artists and album titles. Whereas you really need with the uh, Alexa, you need to kind of uh, pronounce a name differently, like phonetically differently, like kind of how it's written out. But that's the thing that kind of keeps me up at night is, you know, with Google Home and with uh, Alexa and the HomePod and whatever other competitors that are coming out is, you know, am I going to be able as a marketer of music, you know, to have my artists be found? Um, And when they put together radio stations, playlists, you know, by genre, by mood, whatever they're doing, you know, how am I going to affect, you know, making sure that my artist, you know, is found no matter how it's pronounced and that's it's going to be a challenge what what do you see as the biggest challenge to educating artists how do you educate the artist mm. um that is a good question the biggest challenge so just one okay so one example that comes to mind is more around um even just like registering an ISRC or ISWC, for instance, right? Like for a given recording or song. Um, There are very, very few resources online at the moment that really like centralize all the places you need to go to get the proper registrations so you can get all the money that you are owed technically, like in in one place. So I I get to the typical DIY artist that I run into like at, at conferences, for instance, they're always like, oh, I have to, there's so many different websites, I can't keep track of everything. So that's just um, one challenge. And both from the artist and the, the company perspective. So um, for instance, I think in a recent press release, Universal Music Group, they just had a line saying that they're licensing their music right now to over 400 different um, digital music services, wow. like different apps, which is a lot. Like, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because we only ever really hear about five or maybe right. 10 of them on a daily basis, right? Like the big like Spotify's or Apple Music of the world. But, sure. There's um, a lot. Yeah, but I think, I think that number will only continue to grow. Um, there are more 
I think as people become more bullish on where the music industry is going, um, especially with like Spotify being a public company, there are more companies that'll want to jump on and maybe license content from labels. And I know like while maybe moving more slowly, the labels are also, they're trying to make the process easier because it helps them too at the end of the day. So um, that'll be a challenge a challenge and an opportunity as well in terms of the increasing complexity of just a landscape where your music can be heard um, and discovered. Uh, it's not just like a straight music streaming service now. Um, it, and it's not just, not just looking at the music industry, like what, what is the video TV film space doing? What is the gaming space doing? Even fashion and design as well. So just the, the possible touch points of music are so vast. And from a, from an artist's perspective, it can I can very easily see them being flustered of being like, you know, where where do I they're, start? They're they're like, overwhelmed. Where? They're overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's the biggest challenge and something that I definitely try to do in my work is sort of um, boil down, like recognize that it's complex, but then try to communicate it in a way that um, is both easy to digest and actionable as well. Like, yeah. Okay. I think you I think you do that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> um, so where can we find you online? Yeah, so I am uh, on Twitter all the time, maybe a little too much, but you can find me at SherryHu, C-H-E-R-I-E-H-U, 42. The number is 42. Um, you can, my website is SherryHu.com. There you can find a portfolio of articles I've written so far, as well as a link to my newsletter, um, you can access my newsletter just via the short URL bit.ly slash water and music um, or go to my website. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. This was, this was great. I greatly appreciate your insight into, into what's going on and the fact that you want to educate artists. I mean, I, at the end of the day, that will help more than anything. Mm. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, Sherry. I really enjoy your writing. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Take All care, right. Sherry. Thank you. Okay. you. Bye. Thank you. She's taking on a great challenge there. Yeah. Ed educating artists and dealing with transparency. Mm -hmm. But you know, it takes any. It takes all of us to take that on to make this change. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of what we what we do here, and you know, I've been reading her her pieces, you know, in Forbes and in Billboard and. You know, I put them in my own uh, weekly newsletter, Your Morning Coffee, and I get a lot of input that her writing really digs in. She does the analysis. She does the research. And I wouldn't say she dumbs it down, but she certainly simplifies it to a point where you don't have to be, you know, an engineer to understand it. And uh, I would encourage everybody to subscribe to her Water and Music uh, newsletter. Really very conversational, really great stuff. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Jay, you got to run. You're hitting, I do. hitting the airport I and uh, Music Biz Weekly podcast. We're out of here. We'll see you next week.